Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. Today we are thrilled to welcome lead singer of the group Colorvine and also member of the 80s group The New Monkeys, Larry Saltis. Larry, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I want to start off by saying that I, I'm a big fan. I love the New Monkeys album. I still listen to it. Watch the TV show in the 80s. I was very disappointed when the whole thing stopped. And there's the dog again. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a minute. I want to start by asking you, you now you grew up in Ohio? Yes, sir. Uh, Akron, Ohio. And when it's, did you uh, first start, yeah, start showing interest in music? Believe it or not, I, I uh, very young age, about seven years old, uh, started guitar about uh, six and a half, I believe, but seven really started to resonate with me and uh, had a supportive family unit that really pushed it even further. Were they musical? Uh, I was going to ask that. You know, my mom and dad loved music. They weren't particularly musical people, though. There was always an acoustic guitar laying around up to the time I was, you know, from the time I was born to six, but I think I grabbed it one time. My dad realized that he actually has a natural thing with it, which it did just fit my hands and my body for some reason. And that's how it just started to take off from there. That always amazes me because I, I have no musical ability whatsoever. I've tried. I don't connect with it. I'm a visual artist. That was always the organic thing for me. So yeah. I can appreciate when you lock into something like that um, naturally, but I'm, I'm endlessly impressed with musicians. So I appreciate hearing that. <laughs> what were your son with your... Oh, sorry. You were going to ask? No, I know. I was going to say it's deceiving. We can deceive everybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> so what were some of your favorite musicians when, when you were a kid? Um, you know, I grew up around what my mom and dad listened to, which would have been Led Zeppelin, uh, Jethro Tull, The Beatles, <laughs> um, Mamas and the Papas, uh, stuff like that. So I knew what hit songs were, you know, the, the Turtles, um, the Animals. My, my mom and dad always had that stuff planned. So early on, that's all I had. And, and then the Stones came um, gradually into the process. And then all the way into your teens where I think I just evolved. And I loved everything from Journey um, all the way over to The Cure, uh, mm. to Depeche Mode, to anything you can think of as I, I would classify as the second British wave. Yeah, I, I really latched on to that stuff. So I never really fell in love with one style of music, per se, but I, I really enjoy the British stuff. You like the awesome. new wave stuff when they, during the... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was very into that. You, you know, U2 was not, I consider the new wave of it, but they were also my favorite at the time. So Duran <laughs> Duran, U2, all the way to the, the rock acts, ACDC, Journey, everything from 82 on. You know, yeah. it just it was a great era. There, there was a plethora of hits from all different genres. It was great to grow up in. Oh, for sure. So before the New Monkeys started, um, had you already been in a band? Um, yes, I had been in a band since uh, I was probably 14 years old. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, I, I was a guitarist for a while with the band and a backup singer. By the time I was 16, my brother was involved at keyboards and vocals and uh, had my my friends from high school all involved, 
And so we always had a five piece so we could cover everything on the radio. <laughs> ah. um, I started writing about the time I was 15. And it's funny, you know, I was, I was much better then, <laughs> much more prolific, uh, <laughs> much more energetic and ended up being a member of the Los Angeles songwriters showcase by the time I was 16. Oh, wow. And so mm -hmm. you're in a band, you're playing top 40 dances all over the place. Uh, I probably made more money as a teenager than most um, because I was always playing out. That was my job as well as, you know, being a student or whatever you do in high school. But yeah, I was in a band uh, and we, we ended up uh, corresponding with Atlantic Records by the time I was 17 oh, uh, wow. because of a regional promotion rep who heard our, our cassette tape. And um, he was over in, in my home growing up in the living room playing me uh, a release from Foreigner, I Want to Know What Love Is, before it ever got done. He uh. was playing me Tracy Chapman's Fast Car. He wanted to see what I thought of these songs. And I told him, well, both of them are hits. And he said, we'll see about that. And they both were. So wow. I was trained to have that type of ear by, you know, people who knew what they were talking about. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, was in a band before the new one. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of the band? I have to ask. <laughs> the name of the band was called Scheme, S-C-H-E-M-E. Okay. Very cool. Now, I want so you're, you're doing, you're in a band, 86 comes around, there's this whole resurgence by the monkeys they've played on mtv a lot they're on new tour and album had you been a fan of theirs at all i i always knew the monkeys growing up because that was another hit uh, adventure you know uh, always knew about them always watched them i was actually watching the vh1 releases oh okay that's how i got the new monkeys uh, audition because <laughs> the the monkeys had grown again and, and had this new awareness uh through that period and then they had the advertisement on on the television, I believe it was MTV, uh, for the new monkeys in New York. So the monkeys were the reason I actually found out about the audition because I was watching the monkeys reissues mm. on VH1. So it's just from VH1, just a commercial in VH1 for that? Yeah, they did a special commercial, an advertisement that said we are auditioning people in New York. And it was for the New York cattle call audition. <laughs> Amazing. God, yeah. it's crazy. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you remember who was involved from the original production? Yes, the original producers of the original show, Steve Blauner, Peter Rapelson, and uh, Bert Schneider. They were the oh, three all, original all producers. Original, all those same original people. All the same guys. Right. The, the, the story goes, the reason why they did the New Monkeys is because one of their children actually was watching the original Monkey shows as they were re-airing again and said, dad, why don't we have our own? Why, do, why don't we have our own monkeys? Huh. That's a phone call was made and within two days, I think the project was conceptualized and they were looking for the writers to, to create the show. Oh, interesting. So you went out, so you went out to New York. You said you just, how'd you get, you just drove down or you? It's a little more even Cinderella than that. You know, I, I was, I think, playing soccer that day, and it was summer before I was going to Kent State. And um, I came home. There were uh, two tickets on the kitchen table to go to New York. And I said, well, what's this? And they said, you're going to that audition. Because I had talked about it, but the reason was they thought that it'd be a good uh, a way of me testing myself and, 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 you know, just getting out there, seeing, seeing if I had any talent at all. They didn't expect me to make it. That, that wasn't the deal. 
<laughs> so, um, but I, I went there and I auditioned there. Was, you know, uh, I think 5,000 people were in New York. Hmm. Unbeknownst to me, there was another audition in LA that was about 4,000. Oh, oh, you didn't know that there was two, there were two going on? No, no. I just thought New York was it. And I think I stood in line with my mother because, you know, I was 18 years old going to New York. So she had to go with me. Um, and I, I passed through the three uh, phases at that time. The first one was just an interview for about 30 seconds. And the second stage was to play your instrument. Third was to do improvisation. So uh, the first, uh, I think the first audition, the first day was when they, they asked me to stay. I said, stay for what? The second audition. I said, okay, great. Where do I go? No, it's tomorrow. And I went, well, I can't stay here. <laughs> so worked it out, stayed overnight, had my guitar FedExed because I didn't know any better. I was 18. I didn't know SIR studios where the auditions were being held would be a place where they'd have instruments. Now, that just wasn't in my brain. So I uh, got my guitar ship, did the second audition. They asked me to, to play a song and I, I did I think 45 seconds of a song by NXS called This Time, which not a lot of people knew what that song was, but I did. And I, I was the only guy all day who played a song from that genre at that time. Oh and I think God. that's why I got noticed because everybody else was doing original monkeys tunes. Jeez. Um, so I just did that. And then the next thing was, I think I had to sell a watch. Uh, another kid and I were on stage together and we had to sell watches to each other. And, and that was it. But the room at the time was full of celebrities. Uh, Mark Goodman from MTV was there. There was a country artist at the time that I don't remember his name now. Um, David Sanborn walked in the room. Um, some other people from VH1, some bigger producer types. So the room was full of these people. And I, I, I like, oh, great, I'm dead. This isn't going to work out. <laughs> but it did. Uh, in the long run, or the short-term long run, I call it, I, they sent me home. Say, hey, great, you're you're great. We'll call you if we need you. So, so it was just like you. Everyone got up, like playing little songs and everything. Just that was and singing. Yep. And they wanted to see your acting ability as well. Yeah, which I didn't have. It was terrible. But you know, <laughs> I'm still not an actor. Went home though, and I went to Kent State for about three weeks, and that's when I got the call from Steve Blauner, the executive producer at the time, who said, "Hey, you know, you're one of the final nine, and we need you to come out." And I said, "No, I can't waive my semester at Kent State. I'm just got here, and I'm paying for it. I just can't drop out." He said, "Don't worry. I already talked to your mom and dad. You're coming out in two days." So. Oh man, that was that. So thrown right into it, yeah. And that's the best way to get it, by the way. That's that, that's the best way to have it happen. But within, I think it was uh, two weeks out there with a bunch of screen tests. Um, uh, I knew I was chosen. They told me you could I was still chosen. you could still see the um, the Mark Goodman uh, New Monkeys like you know interviewing going through the the crowd. It's still on YouTube yeah. now. You can still yeah. catch those, which is fascinating to watch. Great. Yeah, it's great because MTV was the thing, right? Uh, you yeah. Know, yeah. Uh, what is social media today to these kids streaming and looking at videos was MTV to, to my generation that, in that age. So it was, it's a pretty cool thing. So, so they, that was like the whole audition process lasted like two weeks? In LA, yeah. So when I oh got out, it was, it was pretty, you know, they, they had us sort of in acting groups. So you had combinations of guys of all the nine, you know, sets of four and sets of two. 
There were one-off interviews with the camera, which you've seen in, in the one of the pilot issues they call in the new monkeys. Um, and that was the raw stuff where we hadn't really worked together until that day. Mm. They did a bunch of film tests that way. Uh, so it, it was it was pretty intense. Uh, and I was, uh, how, do, how do I say it? Very insecure about what I was doing. I had no idea. I, mm. I had no idea. I was in Hollywood all of a sudden under cameras and lights. And people telling you move over here, do over that, and asking me questions. Yeah, it's at this point that you met uh, Dino, Jared, and Larry. I mean, sorry, <laughs> and yep. Marty. Yep, that's that's the point. And Dino being the one Midwestern, and that's how we found out we were the only two that were chosen from New York. Um, so the all the other people were from the LA auditions. You see Dino actually in the in the clips in the New York one. Uh, you see he's on one of the videos. He's on one of the uh, YouTube right. ones now that you could see. So I, I had read that Michael Nesmith's son, Jason, also tried out. Is that true? Yes, he did. He was in the L.A. audition. So I, I never even met him till uh, the New Monkey show was over. <laughs> but uh, really? I was, uh, yeah, I was auditioning for a commercial that they needed a guitar player for, for a Japanese cigarette commercial. And that's when I met him. He was in the room. We had, <laughs> we had a good talk. It was nice. Any other <laughs> any other famous any people that we might know that who auditioned? Um, not on that one on that day. I think that the crazy thing was is when we actually got into production to, to film the pilot and we went down to New Orleans for what they called the, the NATPE NATP, uh, convention down there. That's when all of a sudden you went from, I'll just use my name, Larry Saltis from Ohio to being down there being on an LA production, a sitcom for pilot and Dick Clark is standing next to me. Mm. So Things changed very quickly. So your parents were all aboard from the start. I mean, you, you, they, they gave you the call that, you know, you made it and they, they spoke to your parents first. Yes. If you talk to both of them nowadays, they won't say that they really thought I was ever going to make anything of that. They thought my, my plan was to go to Kent State, graduate and get signed to Atlantic Records because that's the way the deal was shaping out with Atlantic at the time. So that's, I, I never expected to have an alternative uh you know direction to go that quickly and that fast and that hard to go straight to warner brothers records uh slash columbia pictures combination but there there it was you know what are you going to do not take it sure. so i had to tell my brother and the guys in the band hey i'm going to do this i and no pun intended use it as a stepping stone to get where i need to be because i didn't know what was going to happen well, that's, yeah. that's a curious thing, because, you know, I was wondering about that. If, you know, they're telling you that you're going to now be part of this group, and you know, you saw what the original monkeys were, that you're now going to be the same thing on TV. Is there anything going through your mind at the time that, you know, hey, I've made it now, this is, this is it for me? Collectively speaking, all of us were going through that feeling, but collectively speaking, we all agreed they shouldn't call it the new monkeys. I was so wondering that too, yeah. The reason was because we were monkey you know, enthusiasts, but we thought that it would be better to name it something completely different because the difference between us and the monkey show was that, you know, three of us or no, two of us were not actors. Two, two of them were. Dino and Jared had experience being in front of a camera doing that, those type of things. But Marty and I were not actors. We were mu more musicians. Dino was also a musician. So he was, he was an easy pick, I think, for, for them. He was entertaining beguiling could play drums very well he could sing he could do it all so that was great whereas i think the other three positions were a little bit more difficult for them to choose but you know we um 
that was the only thing that I can remember that we all collectively agreed on from the beginning that this was going to be tough to sell it that way from our standpoint. Did anyone express this? I mean, any of you guys express this or you didn't feel like it was your place? We certainly did. All four <laughs> of us did. Um, and, and it was shot down very quickly. <laughs> it was not a matter of discussion. This is all laid out. It was going to be called the new monkeys. And that was it. So we just, you know, we were glad to be a part of something that, that was this big uh because you know you had warner brothers you had columbia pictures you had coca-cola um who turns that down yeah so. that's a that's a that's a huge effort behind what you're doing so you guys are all you, you get cast together and now you're a you're basically obviously a band was there a rehearsal period of time or a, a, did you guys tour at all to become more cohesive as a band as, uh, before the actual pilot uh, was filmed we had to rehearse together at SRR Studios out in LA. So that's where we learned how to like each other and be in the room with each other and play music together. It was, there was nothing like it. It was a blast. You know, every day you're going to SRR Studios at a certain time, probably eight hours at a time, and just goofing around, playing songs together, writing songs, and Warner Brothers coming down to check in on you to see if you could be part of that development for the record at the same time. So we learned our chops together there and how to be in a room together and move together. And then we had acting lessons with a guy named Ed Greenberg, who was Robin Williams' acting coach. Mm. And, and he really, it was pretty intense because I was not an actor and I had to learn what that meant. Um, and that was a good month of really, really intense acting coaching. Uh, Bill Hudnett was also one of the coaches at one time. All embarrassing for me to be quite honest because I just didn't know what I was doing. Mm. Um, I, I think Marty felt like me at certain times too, but Dina was a natural, Jared was a natural and everything fell into place that way. But we, we never really got to go on the road together. The, the agreement was once the TV show had aired, Warner Brothers and Columbia Pictures were going to work together to strategically find out, okay, what can we do to get these guys on the road? But they wanted something to be a hit first. You wanted a hit TV show and you wanted a hit record. I think both companies were depending on the other <laughs> to work out. So naturally, it just, the ball got dropped. We did go on publicity, uh, publicity tours in New York, uh, East Coast, Philly, um, Chicago, uh, some other major cities on the East Coast. And then we had LA and, and that, that was about it. But yeah, we had been out there as a quote, band, TV show combination trying to sell it. So when did the backlash start from the like the monkeys fans and, and the original monkeys themselves actually? I mean, when when did that backlash start? Um, Dino would be even better to speak to about this, but I remember right away, right away. Uh, you know, from the time the auditions were being held, the you could feel the venom coming mm. from that side, and I think it's just a misunderstanding that you know they thought we were going to use their names. And, and I can understand why you would get that impression, but that's not what really happened. We were going to play our own names, our own characters. They were going to write the characters for us based on our personalities. And, you know, there was a focus more on musicianship this time. So we were going to be involved in the recordings and it was a different thing altogether. Uh, but, you know, now what we know of is Big Time Rush and, you know, anything that you've seen on American Idol and, and things that form like, big, you know, One Direction and all that. I think this was the original concept yeah. of that i would agree it's definitely the precursor to it and there's the one of course yeah <laughs> so, um, so, so the, okay mine's in the kennel today by the way because 
my wife had to go to Pittsburgh and I'm like, I'm not taking care of the dog, trying to do an interview and, and, and going to work tomorrow. I can't do it. Uh, so uh, I'll be the unprofessional one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so did you remember any, any comments from the monkeys at the time that, you know, about that? Yeah, pretty vitriol at the yeah. time. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, however, there was a, a time at Cherokee studios when we were recording the record, the monkeys were actually recording at the same time in one of the rooms in the studios. And we didn't know it. Oh, wow. We went out, we went out for a break from the master room. Uh, to go and I went to the bathroom, of course, and I think Dino did. He he went out first. By the time I got out of the bathroom, apparently everybody met the monkeys. <laughs> I'm the only guy that didn't. So uh, Dino, Marty, and Jerry got to talk to the monkeys and sort of hash things out a little bit and and work it out. But over the years, even with Mickey Dolan's, you know, being in the room at certain times when I wasn't there, Marty was in the room with him a couple times. Dino was. It wasn't a nice fuzzy warm feeling you got and I, I think it was only based on misunderstanding sure. conceptually but at the same time I, I'd see the backdrop where it was the way that the monkeys were treated by the original producers and the original producers being the ones heading this thing I think that's what probably did it it had probably nothing to do with us now, they actually sued the production is that true yes. yes they did and we actually had death threats when we were on that publicity tour it would have been um I'm thinking sometime February of uh, 87, somewhere, or 88. Uh, I get them all mixed up now. But I think that's where we had a death threat on us. And we're taking a limo Holy to Philly. <laughs> and and we, we all we knew is, you know, you got to be careful. Got to be careful because there's people out there that just really hate you. Unbelievable. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. When the initial backlash hit, you know, it was, so was there concern? You know, at some point, it's got to go through your mind. Maybe this is not the same, the great thing that all the producers are telling you. Did you guys start talking about that? Yes, we had uh, many talks about that. And I think we all felt that maybe this thing was doomed because we had no support. Mm -hmm. And um, the truth was, we did have support when new fans would, would hear the record or you know, Warner Brothers definitely wanted it to succeed. Columbia wanted it to, to succeed. However, you know, the support needed to come from the audience. And I, I, I don't think even preceding Cosby on Fox did it. You know, we had plenty of watchers on the first show, but I, I, I don't think there was enough support for it. Man, so well, did you have any probably, in, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. No, I just want to follow up on that. So if this had come out, maybe like even maybe like a couple of years afterwards, this probably might have been better than at that time when the monkeys were just like shooting up again, no? I think the trick would have been to not have the name. Name it all. I, I really do. I, I think it would have made a huge difference. It's sort of like um, Simon Cowell from the American Idol show Inception. He started another show called The Making of the Band. And he had this great philosophy of let's do this and that. Well, it turns out that his music director at the time worked with us. And she wow. told him in the meeting, in the think tank meeting, uh, it's already been done. And he said, what do you mean? She said, well, it's done with a TV show called The New Monkeys. Have you ever seen it? He said, no. So she made him watch it and he dropped the idea wow. because it wasn't new to him. Wow. Wow. Jeez. So I really think it probably could have done much better uh, with different name properties. Well, did you have any input into the process of making the show or choosing the music? You know, I, I will say, not in the, in the show itself, but I, I I was blessed to be able to have a lot, all of us were, to be involved in the music part of it. 
you know, you had Warner Brothers records and you had some of the best people working on that record who'd, who'd been working on hits for years. You signed Prince and Madonna and James Taylor and, you know, everything you can think of Warner Brothers, they did. Um, and, and they wanted it to, to work. So they did reach out to us. And, and I even got to have a song on the record that I wrote, co-wrote with, with some other people. Uh, Marty Ross was, uh, you know, very influential in getting affection on that record. If it weren't for Marty, that song wouldn't have been on there. And, 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 and so to speak, if Marty hadn't sang Boy Inside the Man, it wouldn't have gotten on that record. It was, it was a, a critical process, meaning that it was analyzed very well. Due diligence was done. They wanted hit songs, but they wanted our identities to be with it. So they involved us. You know, what song does Larry work on? What song does Marty work on? And so on, so to speak. So it really was a great process. And that was the part that I think we had a lot more influence in rather than the TV show. The, the TV side. I, and like I said, not just saying because you guys come on. I mean, I've spoken to Ike about this before. I love the album. <laughs> I still thank you. I still listen to the album. I love Corner of My Eye. And so it's it's you know, it's still you know fun thank record. You. It's really a great great record to listen to. So, you. you know, but I, I want to ask, you know, now unfairly or not, you know, they kind of all everyone like I remember the time kind of matched up which you guys were to the original monkeys, and you know, like they they thrust you into that Davy Jones role and yes. you know, the TV show, the same thing. So was there, you remember there being talk about this? Like, oh, oh we need, we need the heartthrob. We need the goofy guy. Do we need this? You know, do you remember that talk? You know, I, I am sure that talk took place, but it was never mentioned to us. So, you know, we walked in the room, we all got chosen, but you got to look at it that way and say, obviously somebody right. wanted to have that dynamic. And they found that dynamic when they put all four of us together in the testing period. They, they found that. And I think my naivety as an 18-year-old kid from Ohio uh, fit the bill for Davey. And then you had all the other guys in, the, in, in their, their own identities that worked and matched up. Yes, there was something happened. <laughs> Before I get this question, I, did, I, just, I have to ask this. How much hairspray did you have to use every day? I just have to well, ask. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Aquanet. I was going to say that was the day, the heyday of Aquanet for sure. That's right. Yeah. It probably, we'll probably find that it kills you now if you use it, you know, yeah. but it, uh, yeah, a lot of Aquanet. <laughs> Cause that's what stood out. I remember when I first saw the, the group pictures, your hair was the one that stood out the most <laughs> to me at that time. It was ridiculous. Let's face it. Anybody who says they had a mullet. No, they didn't. I had a mullet. <laughs> I know what it's like. Okay. You don't have a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, so you guys got you got a twenty-two episode order, and I remember I, I remember hearing what I want on the radio. That that was the first way that that, that introduced me. And I, I, and I still, like I said, I love that song. I still love that song. Oh. But you know, when I first heard it, it got me into the band, and there were also a ton of commercials advertising it, like we mentioned. But the the TV show was so different than the original. I mean, that was like. You know, you guys never left the mansion, really, and you, you're all like rich. And so, yeah. what what was you know what were your feelings while filming it? You you mentioned a little bit there that you know you had misgivings for the TV show. But do you think did you you guys talk about it at the time that saying you know the TV show needs to be better? Yes, and I appreciate the question because you know all four of us knew that it wasn't going the way it was conceptualized. The original concept by the the producers was. We were the monkey's children. We were their offspring. We lived oh, in a mansion. So they, they, you were the kids? 
We were the kids. Wow. So we, and, and every episode was based on in your long corridors of that mansion in one of the hallways, whatever doorway somebody right. fell into. And that would be your segue to the next episode, which I thought was quite brilliant because it was endless what could happen in each door and what room uh, and where it would lead. But that that went askew. You know, the the producers will, would even tell you, Vic Fresco and Matt Fastbrook today, if you even talk to them, they'll tell you, we really lost direction. We really needed more direction. We should have stuck with the original concept. Mm-hmm. And we, we were caught off step in trying to be something we weren't. And so they lost the main concept. And I think the storyline started to wither away. Um, it was taken non-union. So you were dealing with non-union uh, writers, mm-hmm. non-union mm-hmm. scale crews. Um, and it just started to unravel. Because they would uh, no- didn't, didn't go the way we thought it should. That was for sure. And we even voiced our opinions. You know, why is this happening? Why aren't we doing this or that? But, Oh, you did not. I was going to ask you. You did speak to the because I remember there yeah. were like not a lot of like storylines that went beginning to end, like you know, n- you know, classic storyline. There were a lot of like little vignettes, I guess, pieced together yeah. sometimes. So you said it to the producers and what they said, tell you at the time. Just uh, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> just smile. Uh, they love to say that. They yeah, love just, to say that. Yeah, they do. I mean, just just show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, at what point did you realize you start to realize that this it just wasn't going to work out in the end? Uh, sadly enough, I'd say about by the fourth show of filming. Oh wow! Oh my yeah, god, we, you're staring think, down eighteen I, more shows. Yeah, and we only got to do, I believe, thirteen. By 13. the way. Oh really? We got, oh, we got okay. cut off uh, at that point. So um, we I, we really knew it. We, we did the best we could. And I think when we started having fun together more as a, as a family, the four of us, I think things became, you know, more evident even to the producers because we would start not saying the lines that we just read. You know, we, we'd be in the room together and we'd just start doing what we wanted to do, um, being insubordinate, just to, you know, so to speak. Um, also, you know, just picking up something and throwing it across the room during a scene you're filming just because you're getting so aggravated about stuff. And we found ourselves being isolated from one another for separate storylines for these little snippets in the shows. And one guy we wouldn't see for three or four days, we, we would all have pneumonia at the same time because uh, we were worked to death. Wow. And, and uh, you know, it, I think we bonded then. We ended up going to see the doctor and somewhere together. We, hmm. It was pretty funny. But we all knew, we all had that feeling. We didn't think it was going to work out. Yeah. Well, what was the conversation like when they when they finally did cancel you? Um, there was no conversation with all four of us in a room together to where we had found out. There were individual hmm. conversations given strategically at certain times uh, based on preference, I think, by the producers at that time. Uh, and they only wanted to tell you so much what the real story was yeah but it was just that the show got canceled that was the bottom line and uh you need to come up and pick up any you know personal belongings you may have left in your your trailer um and that was it uh and then we found out that well how we found out is larry's my personal guitar was sold in an auction oh my god they had auctioned off all of the Holy stuff God. that we thought was called loan memo deals. So my Marshall 
uh, 24-track machines that we had, uh, keyboards, guitars, all that stuff that were given to us were actually oh, given to us. Yeah. But it, we were told that they were loan memo deals, that they would be wanted back by the manufacturers at the end of the show run. So oh, we, uh, the producers had an auction and sold everything off. Wow. Wow. Welcome to show business. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, man. It was a yeah. tough lesson. You learn hard. Wow. You learn hard. Yeah, because even, even you said, I know the 13 episodes, even the 13th was just like a, a clip show. Just like they, they didn't even use you guys really for that. No, I yeah. we call that the great give up. You know, mm. they could have done a blooper show. We kept pushing them for bloopers because right. there was some funny stuff. It would have been the best episode of all of them. Might have even, I mean, but the story was, that the show was going to be picked up for another run. Mm -hmm. I actually don't think so. I don't think there was a story that was going to be picked up for another run. I, I think it was a, a cold, hard, fast stop. And uh, I think it came from Columbia Pictures. Because in the original series, they, they, they had the moment that let you see what each of the group was like. So, you, so the fans could get to know them. And they never gave you guys that same consideration. So, yeah. Uh, had there been plans for a tour or, or another album at the time or yeah yeah as far as we knew there was a plan for a tour but the record had to break a single had to break mm -hmm. and the single hadn't broken what i want was the first single it hadn't broken but, but i i think if you had really looked at the tv show and you see the well you had what 33 music videos we thought right. 33 i mean who does that in three months so we we did all these music videos that were all layered in with the sitcom itself and so lot, lots of directions it could have gone um and it just didn't i think what you had is the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing sure typical scenario <laughs> in the immediacy of cancellation what did you wind up doing what did you do next um i i have to say it was a really disappointing type of shock and you, i think you get defensive so you think right away you have no choice. What's my next step? And I remember um, putting in a call to Lenny Warnker at Warner Brothers. Um, actually, it was the other way. I was home. It would be November of that season. Uh, maybe that's 89, 88. I, can't, I get it mixed up. Sorry. But it, he, he had called me because I had been on WMMS in Cleveland for a radio interview to, to break that single. So the show's on TV. And we're trying to break the single. And um, it was called a hit or miss thing. So the people in the audience would call into the radio station after they had heard the song and vote whether it's a hit or a miss. And it actually came out as a miss. Mm -hmm. So Lenny Warnker must have known about that. The president of Warner Brothers Records at the time called my, my home phone in Akron. I answered, talked to him. He said, what happened? I told him what happened. He said, okay. Maybe when you get back to LA, we should probably talk about alternative employment. Mm. So that was the, the record arm, the indication to me mm -hmm. that they weren't going to back it. So if they're not going to spend money on the single and Columbia Pictures is worrying about them breaking the record to make their TV show go, you can see how it all sort of collapsed. So mm. I my, my direction at that point was to go back to LA as soon as possible meet with Warner Brothers Records and talk about some type of alternative role with mm -hmm. them and be a musician, songwriter, and do whatever I had to do. Well, 
One one thing that I see though that that does impress me is that the four of you are still you know really great friends. Mm -hmm. And so was that was that straight through or was that just like you know a reconnecting later? You know, uh, there was a common thread the whole time. We all had our differences of opinions at certain times, and, and maybe we rubbed each other the wrong way at certain times. In the end, though, quickly after the show was done, even though there were longer gaps uh, for different combinations of the two of us, let's say for me and Marty being around each other, or me and Dino, or me and Jared, um, I ended up writing with Marty and, and producing songs with him. Uh, I ended up always hanging out with Dino. Jared was the one that took a longer time. Um, and, but, you know, we all came together. I think the first reunion we ever had was so easy because we had already been talking to each other. So we always made sure we stayed in touch with each other, even though I lived in Ohio uh, and they were out in LA. I always talked to these guys every three months. Um, and, and now, to be quite honest with you, there, there isn't a month that, that goes by where there isn't communication. It's just the way it is with us. And I think we all love each other because we've been through something, sure. you know, pretty traumatic. <laughs> uh, and and uh, we, were, we were pretty much chewed up, spit out, and left to go back to what we thought we knew. There are only four guys on the earth that have that experience. So, <laughs> yeah. so together. Yeah, collectively. Right. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. God, well, yeah. in, the, in the past few years, there's been a, a definite, um, you know, renewed interest in the new monkeys. When did you start to become aware of that? And, um, and when did it start happening? Um, the guys would call up and we'd talk together. And there was a softening of the original monkeys audience. To the whole concept of the new monkeys and I, I think it came out with where a couple interviews were done and the head of the fan club softened up and said you know whether we like it or not that was a great record mm. that's how it started mm. they may not have liked the show or thought it was worth much but they thought it was a great record so i think that in the end the music actually softened the hearts of the people who were huge monkey fans and brought it all together and then you you hear about Mickey Dolan's softening up and you hear about um, Dino or Marty talking to them and talking to the guys who run the fan clubs, being interviewed by people who interviewed the monkeys. And, and then this swell started. And I, I think finally just get an appreciation for, hey, look, what we went through, we, we didn't do it with the intent to hurt the monkeys, the audience or anything. We intended to just do well doing what we were doing, but we were called the new monkeys. And we're sorry. We never meant anything by that. And I think everybody gets it now. Mm. There's anything to apologize for. I mean, really, but but I was just about to ask that, that, you know, I, I saw that now there's things with Mickey Dolan. So when did that thawing of the relationship happen? How did that come about? I, I, I wasn't there for it. Uh, I think Marty and Dino could answer that better, but it was definitely something that Dino and Marty wanted to have happen. Mm-hmm. They wanted to spearhead that and try to make something happen because I, I if, if anything, personally, you sort of want to get through that. You don't want people hating you because you've made a choice to, to do the new monkeys. Um, so, and neither do you, you, you want the, the original monkeys audience who's starting to soften up fragment itself. You sort of want it to stay together and all like it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, I think someone who, you know, Jody Ritson, who was in charge of the, uh, the fan club for the monkeys reached out to Dino and Marty and started that conversation. And she was the one who really got things going with the heads of the other fan clubs uh, and, and, and making something work 
to where, hey, can we get these guys together? Can we actually do this? And I think Jody was the one who, who got Mickey Dolans to sit with us finally at that last reunion we had in LA. And I, that was the, the that was the the gate opening up. Now we knew it's, it's there, the Breezeway's there, the Monkeys fans are there, new, new Monkeys fans are there, all in the same room, we're all enjoying it. We all made up, it was a love fest and we, you know, it was great. So here we are now. How, how much fun was that when you guys got to perform with Mickey together? It, it was It was a blast. For me, I'm still the same personality. You know, when I get on stage with someone who, and I've been on stages with people who are, are famous and well-to-do and, and very successful, you know, I sort of, I sort of freeze and just want to watch. You know, <laughs> I want to be, I want to be out there. I don't want to be up here. And I yeah. you see in the film, I will sit there. I don't even touch my guitar. Um, <laughs> very capable of playing around people like that. I just, I, it's my time to watch them. So I enjoy it. <laughs> well, would you say there's a good relationship with, with Mickey now? And was there one with um, Mike before he passed? I, I think there was a very good relationship between Marty Ross and Mickey and, and Mike because Marty was showing up at some of the shows with them and still playing around with them. Uh, I think with all of us, I think everybody was very amenable to ever being in the room with each other. There was no vehemence or, or bad feelings toward one another at all by that mm. point. Mm. So look, looking back at your time with the New Monkeys, what stands out the most to you? I, I tend to, I think what I tend to do is make it look like it's not that big of a deal, but I really think it was a big deal. Mm. I, yeah. I really do. I think for anybody, uh, whether you're 18, like I was, or Jared at 19 and, and, and Dino at 20 at the time, and Marty, he, he was the oldest. No, um, <laughs> I don't think that's funny. Um, we, it was a big deal. And I, I think you tend to look at your failures sometimes, you call them failures, and you just want to just not make a big deal out of them. But I think now we're to the point, anytime we can talk about it, we'd love to talk about it, love to share anything we know or any experiences with it, because not a lot of people get to do what we did. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's so true. And, you know, there are so many shows like that, that have, you know, that were problematic for, for different reasons. And it's just kind of funny. I'm thinking like, why would Annette Funicello be upset with the new Musketeers? You know, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. just just because it's a, a whole new crop, it just it just doesn't make any sense to me. So it's very interesting. But I should ask you guys, what what do you guys think of that though? though? Think about it. There was the new Gidget, yeah, the right, new right, monkeys, right. and you had the new Coke. Remember new Coke? Yeah, that was our sponsor. Yeah, so, wow. I, I watched the which new is a perfect matchup. I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. I did watch that that one, and I enjoyed it as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, very traumatic moment for us when you asked, you know, when you asked us if we knew this wasn't going to work out. We had filmed, I don't know, maybe four or five episodes, and we went to a movie theater, and I believe it was for Last of the Mohicans. I don't know why that comes up in my mind. It was a movie opener, and they were going to run what they called our trailer for the New Monkeys, which was mm. being publicized for the first time. It was a new concept by Columbia Pictures to get on a movie screen and, and actually promote a, a TV show coming in the fall. Wow. So here we are, all four of us are in this theater. Nobody knows who we are, and it's packed. <laughs> and the trailer comes on. We're looking at this, we're like 35 millimeter huge. <laughs> trailer goes on, it gets done, <laughs> and everybody starts booing. Oh my God. Oh no. Oh, <laughs> and we just looked at each other and we just, we just knew, I mean, it's like, wow, this isn't being received 
oh, the right God. way. <laughs> wow. So, um, but you know, we brushed it off, watched the movie and, you know, went out partying afterwards. So, you know, what are you going to yeah. do? And you still got to go back to work. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, still have to go yeah, to work. You got to do it. You got to do yeah. it. Well, why don't you tell us about Color Vine? When did that, uh, when did you start that group? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, that was really, a, a, you know, a combination of the guys from Scheme, which would be my brother and a guy named Tim Weiner, and having them come out to LA after the New Monkeys thing was over and just start writing and performing again. It was very easy. To, to bring up. Uh, originally, it was called Tower City uh, yeah. because it was a place in Cleveland that we named it after. Um, and we signed, you know, we were the highest paid act to never get a record out. You know, oh, wow. oh. 1989-1991. Had the greatest rock and roll manager, Don Arden, you could have. We were signed to Interscope for six months. And then we were signed uh, with two other deals uh, amongst the Atlantic Recording oh, Group. Gosh. And, um, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. We just, you know, we had, once again, it was another experience for me where the biggest guys possible could be involved. Mm. They're all executive signings, um, not by A&R level stuff that you normally heard of, but all by big executives signing the deals themselves, putting, putting us and developing us. And we had to write, I don't know how many songs. You had to have seven out of 10 hits in order to record the record. Mm. And when you had your single that was going to be released, it was $500,000 was the budget. Hmm. So fast forward, and then you get to Smells Like Teen Spirit that came out from Nirvana. And I heard that song and that was it. I knew we were done. I knew all the big record deals were over because that record was produced for 50,000 bucks. Sounded great. There were hits on it. The band was excellent. I thought we're out. Went home, told <laughs> Heath and my, my brother Heath and Tim, I said, we're done. And within three weeks, we got a pink slip oh, from Atlantic Records because our budget was so high. Yeah. And uh, and our executive was fired at the Rock Monsters of Rock tour in Russia. Um, Derek Schulman was his name. He signed Bon Jovi, Dan Reed Network, Def Leppard. He worked with them. And he went over to Atlantic and he signed us to be one of the, the rocket ships for him over there. But it, it didn't happen. He got canned. <laughs> wow you know you hear these stories all the time and each and it doesn't matter how many times i've heard it each time i hear a new story like this it's just like i can't believe this business <laughs> it's yeah. you know it's yeah. craziness to me but you you just you recently you opened for foreigners so are there any more plans to tour coming up yeah you know fast forward from tower city color vine came to effect after we moved uh, to akron uh, right. back home and released an independent record. We were nominated for the 38th Grammy Awards back in 1995, uh, top 10 college music journal. Uh, we were three piece and we were more like a, a, a bluesy rock band mm -hmm. um, and got a lot of attention, had no distribution. So we couldn't get our stuff sold if we tried. Uh, oh and, you know, I think after a few years of that, you get tired. And tw at 28, I believe, I met my to-be wife, Joan. And um, I, 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 it was time for me to just start settling down on issues. And I was actually going to go over to Sweden to be a songwriter and live in Stockholm uh, at the end of all of this stuff because Colorvine wasn't getting the traction it needed, but the writing was good. The songs were good and I got attention there. So I was going to try to be a writer for Warner Chapel Publishing there. Next thing you knew, um, met Joan and that was a wash. 
um, kept doing color vine things until we got married and then uh, she got pregnant with our, our first child. And I, I just, I thought, I, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm all out. My, my tank's empty. I, mm. I got to run for a while. So for 15 years, didn't play the guitar at all. I didn't touch oh, it. Wow. Uh, didn't sing, didn't sing a lick, uh, didn't do anything. And uh, when my son turned 16, I just got interested again because my, my brother called me and said, hey, th this band over in Europe wants us to write a couple songs for him. And it was all based on a reissue of a remaster from Tower City on Atlantic Records oh. in 1996. And it was a very critically acclaimed record over there. It still is to this day. I don't, I don't know how many records were sold because, you know, I just wasn't on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, but with that traction, people wanted us to write for them. So we had an opportunity to write, my brother and I. He wanted me to get in the room with him. So I did. We wrote three songs. And he looked at me and said, what are we doing? And I said, we're having too much fun. I don't want to really stop. So we did what we did naturally and, and wrote 10 songs and recorded them. And uh, with a good buddy of ours, ours named Danny Pallone, who was a, a roadie at first for us, but ended up playing the bass tracks for us on that record. Mm -hmm. Released it. Next thing you know, it gets the attention of Warner. And, you know, funnily enough, they're Atlantic Records based. You know, mm. so all, all my life I've been tied into this Atlantic <laughs> thing, no matter what I do to try to get away from it, come in contact. <laughs> but um, a funny story is that Chris Frazier, the drummer for Warner, who has been for years, was a drummer for us when we were Tower City in L.A. Mm. so you know you weave this whole thing together you can't write this stuff and we're out there opening selected shows got to take our our wives and children uh to experience it to be on the road in, in a summer it was perfect timing and did it and then things were really taking off 2020 was looking great and covid oh, oh <laughs> so what are you gonna do yeah um but here we are we we made it through that and we're looking at some nice opportunities i'd like to say i'm retired only if someone asks us to open up for a biggie <laughs> because you know i'm i'm a construction company owner so i have a real job and owner i'm an ownership so i i really love construction but i i can't get music out of me it's just gonna be there yeah we have a rehearsal studio uh, again, and Kurt Reed is now the, the the third member of Colorvine, and we're, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a great thing, you, and it's in your blood. If you accept it, great. But I'm 54 years old now. I have no intent of going out there to be a rock star and a mm -hmm. newbie, mm -hmm. but I love the opportunity of being able to uh, open locally for foreign or the likes of Journey or Bon Jovi if we can do that. So we're working on that. If we can do that, and I go home that night. And I go to work the next day. Who gets to do that? Right. Yeah. Wow. And I think that's where the joy comes in. It. That's, I love playing for a lot of people, and that's the only way to do it. Hmm. You know, we play for fifteen thousand people as an opener because the other five thousand haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's good that you said, you said it. like you know, I I'm a writer and I can do other things too, but like you know. I always will want to write the same thing mm -hmm. in, in my bag. So it's the same thing with you. I think music's in your blood. Music is who you are. No matter what you're able to do, you know, mm -hmm. all the things you do, it's still there for you. Um, so right. I, I can understand that, <laughs> you know. So would you guys re release another album or you don't think that? Uh... Uh, funnily enough, thank you for asking. We, we um, you know, had a lot of visibility and awareness made from that record. So what we we're doing now is we wrote a song called Road Out of Nowhere. It just got done just mixed and we're gonna feed it out there pretty soon 
Um, okay. We'll have a video collectively with it. But so far, we played it for some industry guys. And, I, you know, it's funny. They say it's the best thing that we've ever done. Oh, uh, and the guys that I've known for years said, that's the best work you've ever done. Your voice has never sounded so good. The, the song's so great. And it's the first time we've collaborated with a lyricist. Um, and Kay Parker is her name from L.A., but she groomed me when I was 18, 19 years old. Mm. I've known her that long. And she, wow. she called up one day, I'd say about six months ago, and say, hey, I have this lyric for you. I'm like, really? And she wrote it just for us. Um, and the mm. verses we, we used, because I knew right away the title was a hit. So we, we just went with it and, and worked it out. And so far, it's gotten a great reaction. So I can't wait for you to hear it. It's when's, just that, when's that coming up? Uh, we're hoping there's going to be some type of what we call a soft release of just the song itself, probably in four weeks, and then a video collectively with it in a couple months. Hmm. Well, I'll try to we'll try to uh, look for your your stuff on social media, so maybe we could correspond this this interview with the same time that uh, you guys Thank are releasing the, that album. That'll be you know so it will do whatever we can. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Do you have any any plans at all to play with the new monkeys again? Uh, you know, I I I would jump at it when it comes up. I think it's inevitable. It's going to come. Mm -hmm. I I just don't know in what shape or form. Yeah. yeah so every time it, it's a shock to me it comes up uh and then i say i'm not surprised but i am you know <laughs> every five years something comes up and there's people that want to see us do something together and i'm like well i'm there i'll jump on it well mm. like i said we, we talked about it before i definitely see like a, a big new interest going on i see a lot more you know fan pages of new monkeys i see you know there's a very active facebook group on it to do oh well, great which dino is i think dino runs actually so he does uh, and dino is yeah. you know he's he's the main force and power behind all that he's uh i love dino and he he really has a heart for it too he understands you just can't get over it and if you have people out there that are interested in and you you're asked to talk about it you should you should share all you can if anything, you know, it's a good lesson I, I share with younger people. You know, if you want to get in the industry, um, be very, be very careful. Right. <laughs> be careful what you're asking for and reach out to people if you can, if you have a connection, someone who can get you in touch with someone who's done it. Mm -hmm. I love talking to younger people about it because I don't, I don't, it's like construction. I try to talk people out of doing what they're doing because they're spending so much money doing it. So, so with kids, I try to tell them, if you're doing this, I try to talk them out of doing it only because there is a price to pay. This is a huge sacrifice. Your career is not in your hands. This is not going to college, following a track academically to get where you need to be and land a job. That's not what this is. This is a creative thing that you have to, is not bridled. It has to be directed and channeled People will come in to help you do that. And next thing you know, it's over right. because somebody else made a decision that you were done. It's not in your hands. I think um, I think you and Ike, Ike uh, is the same way as you were talking about his acting career. He's like, uh, you know, <laughs> to younger people, too. I think uh, have that in common, the two of you. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a tough road. It's, it's, a, it's a, a lovely road if you enjoy doing it, you know, right? Uh, yeah. It works out. Um, no, you gotta love it. it. It always gets back to that. I mean, if you're not, if you're not, you know, if you're not finding joy in what you're doing, mm -hmm. you know, then it's work and work, work really is quite exhausting, you know, when mm -hmm. it becomes work. And that was when it became work for me, that was when I knew I needed to, 
I needed to move on um, to something else and to a different area of the business. But yeah, no, it's, it's just great. It's great to hear somebody else with your experience want to share that with younger people because it's, God, it's just, you know, it's such a pie-eyed, you know, approach that everyone has about being a star or a rock star or, you know, yeah. whatever. And it's, it, it's always good to hear, you know, the dose of, of, of reality that it's okay if you love it you can make it work and it can work for you but it does it can just take you over i completely agree so oh, that's great right. do, and do, do fans still reach out to you a lot uh, i'm sorry do fans still reach out to you a lot new monkeys fans? yeah yeah it's, it's really nice and you it's it's funny you'll be in the darndest place where you, you'll be somewhere and somebody say are you are you a musician i'll say yeah yeah um and then before you, and, and you'll get surprised. Sometimes it'll be new monkeys. And I'm like, mm. wow. And then <laughs> yeah. sometimes it'll be color of mine. But either way, I'm always surprised. And I'm extremely flattered because, you know, let's face it. I don't do it this all the time. I'm not paid to do this all the time. And it's, it's uh, uh, and, and I, I'm sure you guys would agree. You love it. You do it. And if you can find a way to manage it in your life, fantastic. Enjoy it. Do you, do you still watch the shows occasionally or you go back and re watch them and check them out? <laughs> Funny you ask. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of one of the, the episodes because my kids wanted to watch them out of the blue again the other day. My, son, my son's 18, my daughter's 16. But every now and then they say, hey, dad, let's watch a new monkeys episode or whatever it is. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I watch what, them. What goes through your mind when you see them? Um. I'd be a liar if I didn't tell you I was embarrassed a lot of the time. I wish I was a lot. <laughs> oh. I, I wish I was a lot smarter. You know, I I wish I was only for the the reason I would enjoy it. I would have enjoyed it much more. Sure. I would have. I would have. So I, I get a little embarrassed about who I was then, and I wish I would have been uh, smarter, maybe older, and really took advantage of the situation more. Mm -hmm. mm. How, how, how can people follow you on social media? Pretty much uh, it's colorvineband.com. You know, you can go to our website and, and, and do that. We have certain things out there on Instagram from time to time, and I am inept at all of it. <laughs> so <laughs> I think other people do that. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we you can find out colorvineband.com is usually how people can get an eye for what we're doing. That's, that's how I reached out to you. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, great. Thank you. It worked. Yes, yes. But and I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity, by the way. Thank you guys very much. No, oh, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. This was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. Like I said, I was a big fan. I was, I still am, you know, but I was, I watched the shows. I still play the record. Like I told you, I still play the album. It's on my Spotify <laughs> recurring. What, what's your, what's your favorite song? Uh, all right, so I'll say "Corner of My Eye" because you wrote it. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay, now telling the truth. No, no, but I, I do love. Like I said, I love what I want. I love the whole album, yeah. but what I want, I love that song. I just go through it. Like I said, I, that one I probably play more than the others. But you know, I do play the album recurring. But I put put that one on repeat. I think the most. <laughs> so. Wow. Great. So I, I am awesome. a fan, but we, like I said, we, we do thank you. And uh, if I'll, I'll mention to you when we get off, but you know, okay. But again, uh, this has been Pop Culture Retro. I'm Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman, and a very special thanks to Larry Saltis. And please subscribe. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast. <laughs>